gentlemen, to another awesome episode of the Home and Body Improvement Show. This is number three for those of you keeping score at home. Again, my buddy Ross will be joining us shortly. Just a quick couple notes so we can get these suckers out of the way and get the party started. If you do have any questions right now until we come up with a better way, feel free to email me anything that you might want to know about home and body improvement at andy at coachpots.com. And hopefully we can use one of your questions for our podcast. Secondly, I got a lot of things going on right now. If you haven't yet, go to coachpots.com, sign up for the newsletter. I get tips for mobility, nutrition, you know, working out, anything you can do to kind of keep yourself occupied during the quarantine. Just another opportunity to pick my brain about anything that you might want to know, all fitness related. Without further ado, folks, let's go ahead and get this party started. The Home and Body Improvement Show, starring Coach Potts and Rockin' Ross. Ross, what's going on, buddy? Andrew, how are you? Just living the dream, my friend. It's been a whole week since I've talked to him, boy. It seems like <laughs> it does. It does. You sound like you're. You sound more mature, more grown up since the last time I heard from you. Nobody's ever said that to me. Nobody has ever used the word mature and my, me in the same sentence. So I appreciate you saying that. Although I don't believe uh, you're actually being truthful. I am, and I'm smiling on the other end. <laughs> Ross, I got tons of questions for you, man. I got, uh, and a lot, most of these are like questions about me doing stuff because I've been recently trying to kind of renovate my place in terms of like hanging shelves, staining, painting walls, just kind of trying to update the place. So I got tons and tons of questions. Talk about that Bulls documentary last night. Did you watch that? I did not watch the Bulls documentary last night. Do you know which one uh, I'm talking about, though? Yeah, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. So uh, that was on ESPN. Yeah, no, uh, it was amazing, and I remember that time vividly because during the '90s, I was like, I turned ten in 1990, right? So like, I remember watching all of those games, or at least as much of them as I possibly could, especially during the finals. And then, um, you know, I was a teenager. I remember when they won the last one, I and mean, it was just amazing. So to watch that documentary, I mean, in terms of documentary, it's very well done. But you know, who knows where it's going to lead because it's a ten-part series, and you've only done two episodes. Oh, how long is it? How long are, are the episodes? They're about an hour. Okay. So maybe you should like you know get out of your little yoga bubble and uh, invest in a TV, and then we could talk about you know the Last Dance starring Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. You um, you don't strike me as someone who plays a lot of basketball. No, <laughs> no. Until you know what scarred me? I double dribbled, and uh, that ever since then, when I was double dribbling at the age of you know ten. Phenomenal Nintendo player. game, by the way. Do any? Did you play Nintendo, or were you too busy stretching when you were a kid? No, I was. I was. I was playing Nintendo, but I was playing Battletoads, Double Dragon, uh, Mario Three. Double Dragon's I, on my list. I have you know, Sega Genesis, Street Fighter, Streets of Rage. Now, know? I'm not saying this is the reason that I became a coach, but I did do. I did have the power pad for my Nintendo and I used to win all the time at that track and field game if you remember that one did you actually did you actually use your feet or did you use your hands no use my feet man using your hands was cheating everyone knew that <laughs> do you have a question 
How do I get six-pack abs? That's a great question. So let's go ahead and attack that first. <laughs> a lot of people, you know, obviously want six-pack abs, and six-pack abs are attainable. And I would say go so far as to say anybody get a six-pack, but there's a lot of work that has to go into it. And some people are genetically blessed, so they're going to get six-pack abs a lot easier than anybody. As males, we tend to carry the fat in our midsection. And when it comes uh-huh. to the abs, it's like one of the last things to kind of show through. I've been I'm ectomorphic, which means I kind of have longer limbs. I have a difficult time. I'm putting muscle on, but I have a really easy time burning fat. Now, the older I've got, the less easy it is for me to burn fat. But nonetheless, okay. I, I have a tendency to my abs will show a little bit quicker just because when I start working out or doing distance running or anything like that, I tend to use fat as my primary fuel source. So you can see my abs a little bit quicker. Some guys who are endomorphic or even sometimes mesomorphic, you know, endomorphic means you just have you just typically retain fat. So a guy for like that to get a six pack, I mean, you have to really change his diet, really change his whole exercise routine. And it would just be a struggle just to eventually see the six pack, which who knows how long it would last because it would be such a difficult time to even be able to see those abs. It might not even be worth it, right? Honestly, like a, a 10 minute, the, the whole like eight minute abs and all that types of, you know, abs of steel, all those are phenomenal routines, but they're typically finishers. So I would do my normal workout, my normal workout, whether that be yoga, running, whatever you think that you know whatever it is you're doing to stay in shape ideally lifting some weights as well and then target some abs toward the end now the number one thing to remember about abs are abs are made in the kitchen and the reason people say that is you have to burn the fat in order to be able to see the abs so you can do crunches until the cows come home but if you're eating Mm -hmm. ben and jerry's every night or chewing on a snickers you're not going to be able to see those abs because you're you're taking in more calories than you're consuming if you eventually start to burn more calories than you consume you will start using fat as a fuel source and eventually that midsection the fat around the midsection is going to start to disappear but before that happens, I highly recommend adding abs to your routine. And if you're going to add it yeah. to the routine, do it at the end of the routine. So anywhere between like five, you know, 10 minutes tops, you can think about doing anywhere between 100 and uh, 300 total reps. That's plenty. So when that fat starts eventually burning, you're going to see the six pack. For me, when it comes to targeting the abs, there's three basic movements that you need to think about. There's the normal crunch or sit up, but anything where you're essentially your head is coming closer toward your feet, meaning mm-hmm. like you're moving in that that direction that's going to target the upper abs if you reverse that motion which is what you were talking about bringing your feet close to your head whether that yeah. be hanging or laying on the ground or something like that um that's going to target the low abs and then finally you're going to also work the uh, the transverse abdominis the obliques the inner internal external obliques is you're going to have to do uh, crunches on the side so if you think about laying flat on your back and putting your feet flat so your knees are bent dropping the knees to the side and doing those um crunches where you're kind of at an angle that's going to target the Sides. So if I said we're doing a 300, you know, rep ab routine, that could be four exercises um, in those four different directions, 25 reps each. You know, that's a pretty intense ab workout. Your abs are going to be burning afterward. But again, yeah. you're never going to see those abs unless you you have a proper diet to complement whatever workout it is you're doing. Right. That makes sense. How did you like that for an answer? I appreciate that. I appreciate that. It's all Sorry. good. Hey, I got a question for you. You ever use goop? Goop? <laughs> no. Oh my god. So like I I've been painting a lot and I've been um, you know, I've been staining, shellacking, 
you know, I've been tra- I've been putting the pay the the, the takedown, been painting the end. I've been doing it all, Ross. I've been doing it all, man. And then I was at the uh, grocery store at Pete's Fresh Produce, which I typically like to go to amongst all the places you could possibly go in Chicago. And right. it was it was obviously things are different because of this whole quarantine, and you had to wait in the aisles in order to be able to go to the register because they were so long and they were so spread out. So I happened to get in this line, and I'm looking on the shelf, and there's this thing called Goop, and it was like, you know, how did you know um, whatever it is, I don't know what it is, but you just put it on your hands, you wait a couple minutes, and you wash your hands, and everything's gone. Like I couldn't tell if I was like secretly burning my skin because it worked so well, but it didn't burn, it didn't anything, and it took all the paint off, all the uh, all the um, shellac, everything that I had on my hands, which was like literally that because I've been painting all day, gone, mm-hmm. no problem. You never heard of goop? You call yourself an independent contractor? I just asked you if you heard of goop. Yeah, I don't use goop. I don't use goop. (laughs) You don't use goop? I don't use goop. I always wear, for me, you know, goop was great when I was a kid growing up. I was learning how to get my hands, how to fix it, you know, a broken chain on my bike and change a tire. Goop was there to remove all the grease on my hands. Awesome. Loved goop. You know, as I progressed as a as professional, I started wearing, oh, you know, okay. I'm an amateur. I'm, I, yeah, because those amateurs use goop, right? Well, what is it that you use there, Hotshot? I use, I use Viper Black Nitrile Gloves. Use gloves. Black, you know, do you see those black gloves that tattoo artists are always using all the time? Yeah. Those are Viper black gloves, nitrile. I figured nitrile that was more of like a precautionary major uh, measure because of the blood and everything. <laughs> right. No, the, you know, and the best thing about those nitrile gloves, they're a lot more durable than medical grade doctor's gloves. Now, when you say the word medical grade, you're like, oh, it's just those rubbery gloves. Those things are so thin that whenever you just just graze against the surface they're just gonna rip anytime i think anybody who has used them in their their past you know they're like they're doctor gloves and they call that medical grade and whatever that means that it's just thin rubber how are you at painting are you familiar do you do it often i do i love it I okay think it's great i got i have a question for you so um I, I, you know, I was I, I, when I was buying the paint. It said that I had the primer and the paint all in one. How is that possible? And what is primer? Primer is a base coat that you put on uh, to settle down your drywall. Uh, primer is great to settle down a dry surface, uh, hence your walls. So it depends on how when was the last time your walls have been painted. You know, there is always going to be some dryness that's happening from your walls due to the drywall or your plaster. It's great to uh, prime your walls with primer because it's going to put a nice base coat. It's going to cover all the imperfections. It's going to cover up the drywall, you know, if you do any drywall patching and sell down all that dust. But also before you, you need to vacuum all that dust after you do drywall patching. I, again, vacuum up all that drywall dust and get like a tack cloth because there's too many novices who are just trying to paint over the dust and what's going to end up happening, especially in your condition, since you have a primer and paint all in one, you're going to be more susceptible of that drywall dust just creating the little surface barrier where there's a little more friction and eventually there can be some peeling. So you really have to get a little more detail of kind of protecting yourself. I kind of, I think I kind of had the issue with the dust because like I was, I would roll, 
you know, the paint on and then you'd see it almost looked like white speckles, but like super, super small. And then I finally figured out that I don't know, there was like a balance between like not pushing too hard with the roller because I felt like the harder I pushed, the more I would see that like little like like speckles in there. And then like kind of literally just applying the paint and just rolling it on slowly and trying to hit all areas. Right. For me, for me. You know, it's like a knife, okay? A knife's got a sharp blade to it, okay? So when you're cutting something, you know, you let the blade do its job, right? Don't force the blade. So if you can think about your roller as you're just pick rolling it, you figure out your roller into the tray and then you rotate it so you get both sides and you rotate, rotate it back and forth. And then as you're twisting it to keep the paint locked into the roller itself and then you apply it to your your corner or wherever you're going to work. But I always come about three feet away from any any corner or surface up to the ceiling so then I can actually spread my paint. Now, I'm not going to press in my roller. I don't want to be like that, you know, because I want pretty much to, I'm looking at the consistency of the paint where I I don't want any globbing. I want to also be spreading it, but then I also want to make sure I'm not doing it too dry, you know. I'm learning, Ross. I'm learning, baby. So I've seen so many novices being like, I want to paint, you know, but I'm like, that's what I want to paint, but also it takes, do you have to think about the time that you took to prep your room, move all your furniture back, and where you want your end end goal. But your end goal, again, it's you just have to put this, these fine little details into how you're, you're going to be painting and rolling because what's going to happen in the end is you'll have every, your furniture back in and then you look at a spot that you really didn't cover. Again, people are like, I can just cover the walls with one coat. One coat, don't. Don't even start. You think two, two coats? Two coats is minimum. Two, two coats, dude. I do two to three. But I don't Sometimes need two coats. I have primer in my paint, so I'm good. One coat. I, me and my OCD, how I work, I do three. Three I coats. Don't want, I don't want to deal with it. I, I, for me, I need my own guarantee. I don't want to see bleeding. No, nothing. That's just me for being damaged as a painter. Okay, so I don't. I don't. I want to avoid the conversation with my client, being like, "I just, I kind of noticed that. Well, it's a little light over here, but then it's over here." I'm like, I can't deal this. I can't. I How long make in sure. between each coat? Uh, it depends on the paint you're using. Ballpark. Benjamin Moore, Regal Select. I can, I could paint a room. You know, I could, I could cut, start one side of the room, then come all the way to the in one hour and return to the same spot and be done. That's Regal Select, Benjamin Moore. If I'm using Sherwin Williams paint, what's going to be end up happening? If they don't, if I don't go for that Sherwin Williams equivalent to Regal Select paint, then I'm I'm losing dry time. I need I'm trying to do a quick turnover. If I'm using Home Depot bare paint. Just be sure you're going to be spending some time trying to wait for that paint to dry. Again, make sure you have plenty of time for the paint to dry. Well, how much is plenty of time? I gave, I, I did, um, I actually, the half of the, the wall was white and then the bottom half was just like gunmetal gray, but I gave it about four hours. Does that sound about right when you're talking about ample dry time? It sounds about right, but... Again, circulating the air always helps things dry. Circulating the air, have okay. another bit of air coming in. Again, I, it's a magic paint. Things need to dry. Circulating air, period. I guess I have uh, one. So I was doing a lot of staining as well. Now I uh, I built my own bar. Again, pictures and videos are coming here, folks. I'm, I'd love to share this stuff with you because I too, although I I am you know the body improvement guy on the show, I like to improve my home as well, and. 
Uh, I made a, I, I did a bar, and when I did, I stained it, but then I coated it with polyurethane, right? So I, I recently built like this kind of loft area in my apartment as well, and I stained that. But the guy told me to use um, shellac. He said it was just a little bit thicker. So what's the difference between a polyurethane and a shellac, and do you have a preference over one over the other? Uh, I'm just want to be clear. I think that shellac is like the 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 thicker of yes, the two. It is right. And then the polyurethane is just that thin. Polyurethane is like what you probably put on your your, your kitchen table. You know, uh, it depends. It also depends on your finish that what you want out of it. Um, oil based is going to have a little more of a thinning subtleness where you're. It, it has a gosh. How are we gonna think of this? Like how it has a nice high, when it would like high vapor evaporation for the thing to actually settle. I mean, gosh, I'm trying to just re- refresh myself on staining, but pretty much what I want is for me for wood staining. It's pretty much your finished look. That's bottom line. Your shellac is gonna give you what a bar looks like with this shellac. You know, polyurethane is gonna get how things look like for your chairs, handrails, everything. So you're saying I should have used a shellac for my bar. Well, you know what? I did cover with epoxy, so I don't feel like I did it wrong. But the one thing I did notice that I'm not obviously as I was going along, I was getting a little bit better at it. It was all about applying the the stain and then like smoothing it over with a towel and just pushing it around and just making sure there was no streaks. But it was still kind of sticky to the touch. But then after I put the shellac on it, let it dry, it was actually a little bit shinier. It felt like everything was locked in and it wasn't sticky at all. It was slick. And I felt like it just, it was just like that final touch that was like, you don't want to skip when you're doing any staining. No, you're always going to get that with stain. You know, I was always paranoid when I first started learning how to stain. And stain is just like you're globbing this ink, this oil on your wood, and it'll absorb, and then you kind of move it around. I thought there was more mystical mystery. But that's just mainly the mystical mystery is just the depth of the grain when you're looking at your at the wood. You know, Ross, that's you, the depth. Ross, and then when you, okay, stop talking. This is a monumental day in the history of the Home and Body podcast, Home and Body Improvement Show. We have a real question from a real listener. So she's oh, actually a good great. friend and she's just kind of throwing us a bone. But I'm going to read your portion of it first. This is from Katie in Ohio. She asked, I, she has, she's what we're both not, which is a homeowner. But uh, her first question is, I just purchased my first home and I'm um, beyond building a garage. I wondered if you had some suggestions on things that increase the value of the home without breaking the bank. Okay. Some things that help her increase the value of her home without breaking the bank. Um, first, depends. It depends on the location of her house, right? Second thing, if she bought her house right now. Um, what she probably wants in, into it. Let's say I don't know the price of the house, right? I don't know the condition of the house, right? What's the most important thing that we're looking at? It's the aesthetics. First, I got to look at my kitchen. How good's the kitchen, right? If you want a, a, a kitchen that's going to look a little more appealing, you know, first see what you have and then build from there. If you have just basic standard oak cabinets that are coming into your house, right, that you picked up at Home Depot from the previous guy, fine. You can work around that. But also you can spray, you know, paint those white, you know, and have, you know, a painter do settle that down. But also what helps out too is selling a house is the flow. What's the flow when you come into the kitchen? Kitchen is the main hangout area where one's going to be based standard. 
area. It's just that's where things are happening. I have a lot of clients who are complaining about where the stove is or, or you know, the aesthetics are very important. You know, could that help you? It can, you know, just because from the next person coming into your house, how does the functioning work in the house you know um like you say it's 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 the kitchen it's the master bathroom do you have another bathroom you know and the, the things that you can do is help improve your house is again you know like house flippers they're gonna stain they're gonna paint the baseboards white you know they're gonna get neutral colors like grays all through the house right change the light fixtures you know Get, get some guy to stain the floor a dark walnut. Okay, so you got that. Um, so let's, and then from your- hey, hey, real quick. Um, so start in the kitchen, right? Um, yeah. Address the flow, right? See if uh, any appliances need to be moved around. We're talking about staining, a dark walnut. Baseboards, we're talking about a white. Stick with your white and grays. Keep it neutral. Uh-huh. And what else could you do to possibly improve the home uh, from an aesthetic standpoint? You know, like, I know people like backsplashes. I'm not going to say a backsplash is going to help you sell your home, but it's a nice finisher. You know, I, you know what? I was and thinking I about putting one in mine, and my neighbor, they have, like, stickers for the backsplash. Would you recommend that, or is that just the, the cheap and ugly way to go? You know what? I'll be honest. It depends on the sticker. My I have my brother and his wife. At this current time, they have a place that they're renting, and I was happy to try out some uh, sticker tile that my sister-in-law bought, and I placed it on their backsplash, and it was like a rubber, uh, rubber tile, and it was just like you know maybe an eighth, less than an eighth wide, you know, just for the rise of how the shape tile was, and. Uh, and it was, um, it looked like it was like diamond tile, like, like, you know, penny tile, but it's all squares. And it looked great. I, you know, and it was thicker and you would never notice it. That's what I'm thinking never about doing. I'm a renter. I'm thinking about putting a backsplash on there, using the stickers, just, you know, purely for aesthetics. And uh, it doesn't, it's not permanent. I can take it down if I need to. Right. Just, you know, I think that's great. It's if you're a renter, go for it. Awesome. You know, because you can always peel it off. You know, if you're going to peel off something, get a hair dryer. Make sure that that glue is just coming off slowly. You know, have have a Netflix episode going on in the background or a podcast and just take your time. If you're ever going to remove that, save yourself the cost. Um, I think it's cost effective. You know, for me, just mentally, I'm always this is always going through my head. How is this going? What's how long is this going to go until I think this rubber is going to start yellowing? You know, I put that up about almost like two years ago. I didn't see any discoloration, and I'm always concerned just looking out for the homeowner when they put up something. There's yellowing or anything, you know. But for last I looked at it, it was holding up. So I was, I, it's got my thumbs up for approval. And um, and I, Ross, Ross, yeah. she has a question for me as well. As someone who likes to run, she needs to work on active, or activating her glutes. Besides squats, what exercises can she use to do that? So uh, squats are probably the most uh, fundamental and number one exercise you could possibly do for anything. Like if you want to work on like just being a human being, get good at squatting. You know, um, If we're talking about specifically targeting the glutes though, 
Remember before I said there's three planes of motion back and forth, side to side, twisting? The side to side motion, which is called adduction and abduction, is a phenomenal way to activate the glutes using one specific exercise called tube walking. So you may have seen people, they take like this, it looks like a rubber band and they'll put it around their ankles and they'll just walk side to side or they'll walk in one direction for like 10 reps and then walk in the other direction for you know 10 reps, whatever it is. Um, you can also do it with a band too, if you place it underneath your shoes and then cross the handles and then just walk side to side. That's one of the best glute activating exercises you can do. And it's something that you ideally wanna do before you start working out, just to get those suckers fired, uh, firing, working, uh, so then during the exercises, you're using them as opposed to, you know, going through an entire exercise and then maybe start using them toward the end. If you start activating the glutes during the beginning, you're more likely to use them throughout the workout, including your run. If you don't have a tube or anything to put around your ankles, you can always lay on your side. And I always call that the Jane Fonda, where you, your top leg is straight and you're just lifting it up toward the sky. That's another, it's still considered AB or ABduction or ADduction, which is the side to side exercise but that exercise in particular will help activate the glutes as well so but it's another thing too guys want a six-pack ab girls want a, a dynamite ass right and the thing is like squatting will do that but you're not going to outrun a bad diet so your diet has to be on point too otherwise ladies sorry but you retain your fat typically in the backside and the th hips and thighs so it's one of those things that you're going to have to have a decent diet if you want to uh, um you know, phenomenal ass. And if you want to use that ass properly, start by doing some tube walking or maybe the Jane Fonda exercise. Anything in the, the side to side will help activate those glutes before you do your workout. But, you know, if you stick to the basic movements, especially when we're talking about lower body, which is the lunges and the squats and the step ups, you're going to hit all those major muscle groups. So, I mean, you know, and if you're working, you know, forward to back, side to side and twisting motions and stuff, you're going to hit everything. I mean, so it's, there, there's little tricks like where I can say, well, do this exercise. You're going to have, you know, six pack abs. I was like, well, yeah, but there's a lot of things in addition to that exercise you need to do in order to get six pack abs. Same thing for like, you know, activating the glutes, same thing for sculpting and toning any portion of the body. It's got to be a holistic approach, meaning a, a total body workout, you know, coupled with a great diet and lots of rest. That's going to help you achieve any fitness goal you might have. Uh, the problem is when people start falsely advertising, do this exercise, you know, three times a day for 10 weeks and you're going to have, you know, whatever it is they promise. It's like, yeah, but first of all, that's unrealistic. And secondly, there's a lot more that goes into it than just doing that one exercise. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I like that. If you're going to do the Jane Fonda where you're laying on your side, wear your shoes. I swear, dude, I'm telling you, I got to think like a monkey sometimes, in my opinion, because I realize if I'm not having engagement or I'm, because like, if I'm doing my squats, sometimes I just use a block because I wanted to squeeze my thighs. I want to squeeze them and I would do engaging and then I put it the wide. So I don't know. It just, it's something that in my mind that I want to know that I can't drop this yoga block subconsciously and I don't want to drop that thing. And so I, it's like the horse getting his, his, his shoes changed where they tie the rope around the mouth, but then also they kick back. You know, he's got, he's got two things going where he can't concentrate. So you're like a monkey so, and a horse. Yeah. That's yeah. Awesome. That fixes your house. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, Ross, this has been another episode of the home and body improvement show. Anything you want to say to the people before I let you go? 
keep the questions coming. We appreciate it. I look forward to answering. And I look forward to having our next episode with you. Thank you. Ross, you do me this favor and everyone else do it the same. Promote the hell out of the show on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or you know, do it the old-fashioned way where you tell people when you see them. Uh, we are available now on Spotify and on iTunes. So you have no excuse not to find an episode of the Home and Body Improvement Show. That sounds great. You can find me, uh, Ross Chairs, at Rockin' Radio Ross, R-O-C-K-N, Radio Ross. And if you want to see the work that I've done with my dance company, that's uh, R-O-C Builders and Contractors. Man, you're pretty much all over the place. Good chatting with you, my friend. I'm going to go ahead and let you go. All right, man. Great chat.